Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host James Canole. And today we get to take a different kind of a different spin on the episode on the podcast today. So I had a listener write in and he said, thanks so much for the podcast. Really enjoy it. And he said, James, I would love to hear a podcast about how you invest your own money. And usually this show is not about me and what I do with my money. But I think this would be actually a very interesting episode, not so much in terms of what specific mutual funds or ETFs or stocks or whatever it is that I own as much as how do I think about investing and how do I apply that in some ways that some of which are considered traditional, some of which are maybe non-traditional, at least in the way that these principles are applied. So today's topic is all about how do I invest my own personal money. So as we're talking about this, I think of investment in kind of three different layers. And so we'll walk through those layers and how do I apply these this investment framework to each of them. But all of those layers, they have one thing in common and that's this. It's that I like to think about everything in terms of premiums. And what a premium is, is it is extra return that you can potentially achieve in exchange for taking on some type of risk or in in exchange for some investment for doing so. So premiums is how I think about everything. And let's just look at a practical example of that. Let's say that you have cash. Now, how much risk is there in cash in terms of volatility? Well, there's none. So there's no risk And there's also no premium, meaning you're not going to get compensated for any level of risk that you're taking because you are taking no risk. Now, what if instead of cash, we look at a CD, a certificate of deposit? Well, now all of a sudden there is a little bit of a premium there because you are taking, and I want to call it a risk, but you are tying your money up for some time. So there's a time premium. You're being compensated for not having immediate access to that CD. So as opposed to just cash where you might earn nothing in interest, a CD with today's interest rates, you might earn anywhere between half a percent and 1% depending upon the time that you are tying your money up in that CD. So there's a time premium. Now, when we move from a CD to a bond, there is more of a return that you can expect to receive. In the same way that a CD is going to give you a greater return than cash, a bond over time will give you a greater return than CDs because in addition to the time premium that you're getting compensated for, there's also an interest rate premium. And that interest rate premium comes along with the fact that you're taking some risk here, where if you own a bond and interest rates go up, that's a risk to your bond. The price of that bond is going to go down. So in order for an investor to even think about putting their money in bonds as opposed to a CD, they're going to say, I want to be compensated for that. There must be some level of return where I get rewarded for doing so. So a bond is going to do better than a CD historically because you're taking on that time and that interest rate risk, which leads to that premium. Now, let's jump from bonds to stocks and let's look at maybe a traditional blue chip stock. Well, now there's an equity premium. There's there's risk and uncertainty there where you expect to do better in stocks than you would in bond because of that extra level of risk that you're taking. So why would you own stocks if you could get the exact same return in a bond that had significantly less volatility or ups and downs? Well, the answer is you wouldn't. You only do so because there's a premium there. And that's not where the premium stocks. You may hear me talking about the fact that small companies historically outperform large companies. They outperform those large blue chip stocks. 
Well, that's the small company premium. And it's because you're taking extra risk. You're accepting more uncertainty. But in exchange for that, you're getting compensated more. You're getting rewarded more for owning those types of stocks over time, at least historically speaking. Same thing is true with value companies. Value companies historically perform better than the rest of the market because you are taking an extra layer of risk. So as we start to look at everything in terms of premiums, what you start to see is you can get rewarded over time for taking on some risk. So as I am looking at my personal investments, what I'm doing is I'm asking myself the question, not just what's the risk and return trade-off here, but going further than that. And I'm asking, what is risk? We talk about risk and all of us have our own perception of what risk actually is. But the reality is it's very different to all of us. Most of the time when people are talking about risk and investments, it's something that they measure by standard deviation. And standard deviation just gives you a sense of based upon the average return of investments, how much does that real return of the actual return deviate from what you would expect the average to be? So the greater the standard deviation, the greater the volatility or greater the deviation from what you might expect the average return to be. Now, for some people, that is risk, but risk is very hard to boil down to a specific number because what's a risk for you may not be a risk for me. And what's a risk for me based on my personal situation may not be a risk for you. So I say this because as we're looking at premiums and we went through that exercise to start with stocks and then go to CDs and then bonds and then stocks and different kinds of stocks, we see that it is easy to get a return or to get compensated for taking on risk by just owning the right things. But people look at risk as if it's some standardized, measurable, uniform thing to everybody. And it's not. And so as I invest my own personal money, for example, I don't own any bonds in my investment portfolio. And by the way, this whole conversation, this is absolutely not a recommendation for what you should do. This is more just telling you and sharing with you exactly how I invest, not so that you can go do the same thing, but just to share my perspective towards it so that you can see how developing an investment policy or investment framework can apply to more than just our investments. But anyways, I don't invest in stocks. And now you could say, yeah, James, it's easy for you to say you're in your 30s, but I'm listening and I'm in my 50s or my 60s and I need to live on this money. Well, I might never actually own bonds in my long-term portfolio, my retirement portfolio. And what I do is I say, how can I offset the risk involved in me capturing this premium? So there's a premium to be had in owning stocks, but there's also that risk. Is there a way to mitigate that risk? Well, to me, yes. Number one, can I have an emergency fund? Number two, do I have an income that is going to be reliable and can develop multiple sources of income? And then most importantly, probably is number three, can I maintain perspective? So often we look at stocks and if there's not the perspective there, if there's not the understanding of how stocks perform historically and what we should expect from them, that is where people get into trouble. The stock market's down 30%. And all of a sudden, there's this panic moment of, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? The stock market's down, I'm retired, and people make a mistake with their money. Well, if you have perspective and understand that, yes, there will be downturns, but if you diversify correctly, and if you have a large enough emergency fund, or if you have other sources of income, those downturns aren't fun, but they're not as devastating as they're often made out to be in the media because they don't impact everyone the same way. So if I can invest my portfolio in a way that takes advantage of all the return and the premium that I get for investing in these stocks, but 
I put measures in place to mitigate against the risk that's required to get those premiums, then to me, it's a win-win. Now, the ups and downs of the market, they don't bother me in the, in, in the least bit. In fact, for me today, where I am in my own personal situation, I, I welcome those because, of course, that's just more opportunity for me to continue buying great stocks at a discount. Now, if I fast forward 30 years from today, maybe my thoughts on this change. But if I were retired today, based upon how I approach this today, I would still be all stock in my portfolio. Now, I would have enough money in cash or I'd have enough money in conservative investments elsewhere that when the stock market went down, I wouldn't have to sell these investments because I know that they would lose 40, 50 plus percent of their value in some years. Those are the years where I'd want to have something else that I would be living on so I wouldn't have to touch those investments. So the framework that I approach it with is what's the risk and return characteristic and how can I get as much of the return as possible while mitigating the risk as much as possible? And it's not through market timing. It's not through trying to outguess what the market's doing, but it's how can I look to set up different income streams or have a large enough emergency fund, but most importantly, have that perspective that those market movements are totally normal. And I get the benefit and the privilege of working in this industry where I get to see this all day, every day. Most people, they're not focusing on their portfolio 24-7. So when they look at their statement and they see they're down 40%, it freaks them out. And rightfully so if you don't have that perspective. But if you have the perspective that this too shall pass, I've put in measures to have cash that I can live on or have other income that I can live on, that allows them to ride out the wave or ride out the recovery, which means the real risk there isn't all that bad. It's more of something that is not fun. It's a little bit painful, but the risk isn't devastating to them if they're well diversified and if they have the perspective to continue waiting it out. So with my investments, and I think of this as the first layer of investing, the passive investing that I do with this, I am maxing out my Roth 401k. I'm doing the backdoor Roth conversions. I'm doing that to the greatest extent possible. I like having as much of my money and and things are going to grow completely tax-free because I have a lot of years and decades of compounding ahead of me. And I want that to happen in a tax-free bucket. And what I'm doing is I own a globally diversified all-stock portfolio that's tilted towards stocks that have that higher premium. Small companies, value companies, companies with higher profitability. So I invest right alongside with what I recommend to my clients. Now, not saying they're all stock portfolios like I am, but I take the same approach in terms of being globally diversified, not trying to time the market, instead focusing on how can I take advantage of the premiums that exist while mitigating the risk, which again is through having cash emergency fund, having a stable income, and then having that perspective of how things work. Now, the second layer of this is how do I think about non-passive investments? So with my 401k or Roth IRA or brokerage account, I invest. And and by the way, I do have kind of an individual stock account. If you listen to the podcast at all about how my wife and I do our budgeting process and what that looks like, we kind of go through a process where we give each other, we kind of agreed upon amount that each of us has in our quote unquote allowance or spending money or whatever you want to call it. Now, A lot of that, when I get it, that's our money that we kind of have permission to do whatever we want with and don't have to check in with the other to see if it's it's, if it's approved in the budget. A lot of that money I just take and invest in a separate brokerage account because it's fun. And yes, I do own some individual stocks there, not because I expect that money to do significantly better or even any amount better than my more diversified money. It is just fun sometimes to say, I want to track this company or I really like this company, so I want to own its stock. Now, I would never, ever do that with my core portfolio, with the money that I need to be there for me for retirement one day or for other goals along the way. 
But for my fund money, my account, that if it goes to zero, it's not going to be financially devastating for my family and I. Yes, I will own some individual stocks, but not with any specific strategy or research method or anything like that. It is purely just for the fun and the enjoyment of it. The second piece now, the non-passive investment. So we talked a lot about stocks. Then people say, okay, well, how does that compare to owning real estate? Or what about taking that money and starting a business? And to me, they're entirely different things because when we talk about investing in stock portfolios, it is truly passive. Now, what I mean by passive doesn't mean you shouldn't be trading or rebalancing or doing anything to manage it. I mean that when you look at real estate or owning a business, there are completely different premiums involved. So going back to that premium conversation, and what do those look like? Well, it's time. It could be a skill set. It could be an added layer of risk. It's an added layer of uncertainty. There could be liability. It requires much more effort. And by effort, I don't just mean more hours worked. I mean time thinking about hard things, just time spent in those moments where how do I figure this out? And there's not a playbook on this. There's no way that someone's telling me how to do it. And there's just a lot more effort in terms of trying something and it doesn't work and trying something and it doesn't work and the frustration and all that. So by effort, I mean, not just the hours that you put in, but those difficult hours that you put in. And so these are all the premiums, some of the premiums, I guess, that are involved with owning real estate directly or owning a business. And they can't be really compared to passive income or passive investments because it requires so much more from us. So me, for example, I'll look at real estate and people say, is real estate a good investment? And I say, yes, but it depends on how you look at it. You know, could I look to invest in real estate instead of my 401k or Roth IRA or other investments? And maybe instead of looking to get 10% per year, I get 12, 13, 14% per year. Yeah. That's probably very doable, maybe even more if you do it really well. But the question is, what does that take me away from? What's the opportunity cost for that? You know, I look at my stock portfolio and in my stock portfolio, it never calls me because it can't pay rent this month. I don't have to go pay property taxes on my stock portfolio. I don't ever have to worry about liquidity with my stock portfolio when I do with real estate. I don't have to worry about getting insurance or worry about repairing the roof or worry about doing repairs on my stock portfolio. It's just completely passive. So yes, could you do better with real estate? Absolutely. But keep in mind, it's not necessarily a fair comparison because real estate is going to oftentimes require so much more from you. So in my situation, let's assume that in my 401k and Roth IRA and long-term investments, I can get 10% per year. And I'm just saying that because that's the historical long-term return of the US stock market. And as I said, I'm 100% invested in stocks. So let's say that's my benchmark for what I can perform or how I can perform in my stock investment. And the question is, well, should I go invest in real estate instead if I can get 14% per year in doing that? Well, at first glance, it seems like, yes, that's clearly the better investment you're performing 40% better every single year. Well, if I had all the time in the world, that's probably something that would make a lot of sense. But I don't, and my guess is you don't either. Time is this constraint that we all have upon our, our lives. And if I look at my time, I have to ask, what else could I be doing with that time that could allow me to take my investments and get better return if I were to use real estate? Or I could invest in my business. My business is also one of my greatest assets. And let's assume that my business is growing at 25% per year. Well, now all of a sudden, that real estate return does not look as attractive. And if that return on real estate takes me away at all, any amount of time or effort or just mental bandwidth takes me away from the business, 
Well, now it's actually reducing the returns that I could get on my investments. And not just that, but with my business, I get to have more fun. I get to help more people. I get to have more of an impact. And all of a sudden, when I look at it that way, real estate to me, at least, because again, this is just how I personally invest my money, not a knock on real estate at all. But now all of a sudden, that real estate investment would be a huge expense because it would be pulling me away from something that has more impact, is more enjoyable and more profitable, at least for me in my specific situation. So that's how I like to look at things. These are the non-passive investment type activities. Non-passive investment meaning it takes more of our personal time, effort, energy. It might require a certain level of skill set. It might require liability protection. It probably has an added degree of uncertainty. And whereas with my passive investments, I could own one stock, two stock, three stocks, a thousand stocks, 5,000 stocks, 10,000 stocks. It does not really require that much extra effort on my part. But if I went from owning one business to two business to five businesses to 10 businesses to 100 businesses or one property to five properties to 10 properties to 20 properties, it's becoming exponentially more complicated to do that. And now if that is your business, some people, they make a tremendous amount of money each year because their business is real estate or because their business is owning and acquiring other businesses. But they're making that decision of saying, where is my time, my skill set, my energy best directed? in order to take advantage of the return on investment that can be had through activities like that. So that's how I think about the premium in that second tier is going back to the different risks. And I won't even call them all risks, but again, the time, the effort, the skill set, the risk, the uncertainty and saying is where I'm applying my time, which is in my business. Is that a way of offsetting some of these premiums? And yes, you know, if I look at time, if I hated this business, this would be pretty miserable. But thankfully, the time for me, it doesn't even register because I absolutely love getting to do what I get to do. So the time for me, yes, I can get a better return if I spend more time. Well, how can I get that return, which I'm getting, and do it in a way where I'm enjoying the time? So that's not really a negative. Or effort, thinking about hard things and doing the hard things. Now, I enjoy that aspect of it, the critical thinking. I enjoy the strategy. I enjoy the problem solving. So again, if I can get a premium, if I can get better return, if I exert more effort, that is something I'm willing to do. Skill set. Now, skill set, thankfully, I think that my skill set aligns with what this business requires, which is both the personal and non-personal skill set involved with personal financial planning and thinking in an analytical way, but applying it in a way that's very personal and real and tangible to the people I get to work with. So those are the ways that I think about that. And even things like liability. Well, yes, there's insurance for that, or there's ways of protecting against that, the risk involved. There's always a risk in starting a business. Thankfully, I'm past that point now where the risk of not making it is, I guess it technically always exists, but it's a fraction of what it was at the very beginning. But line up the risks or line up the trade-offs that are required to get that return And if those trade-offs, if you can find a way of making them not difficult or not hard or not risky, that's where the magic is because you can get the great return and it's not costing you a whole lot to do so. So for me, that is in owning my business. It's in doing this podcast. It's in doing YouTube videos. It's in doing other things like that where they all lead to a return on my investment. For you or for anyone else who's thinking about this, ask yourself, what costs are easiest for me to bear or what costs are the lightest to bear in exchange for getting a greater return on my time or on my investment. For some, that's real estate. 
Some people just absolutely love real estate and they want to spend their time and their effort and their skill set there and everything aligns. And so they get a great return and the cost to them is not that great because it is something that they enjoy doing. For others, it is a job at a company where the company provides the framework for you to get paid for your skill set or paid for your unique abilities. So understanding where you're investing these things, the cost of that, the time, the effort, the skill set, the risk, the uncertainty, the liability, how can you best be rewarded for that? For me, it's exerting my time and energy and expertise into my business, which is my greatest investment, my greatest financial investment, and then taking the profits from that and using those investing in the passive type investments in the 401k, the Roth IRA, the other investments. But I don't want to spend my time investing in something that could get marginally better returns if the cost of doing so is taking me away from the business, which is where the greatest enjoyment and financial return comes from. Now, the third area that I like to apply this of how do I invest is arguably the most important because layer number one is how do I invest my passive investments? Layer number two is how do I invest my non-passive investments, which is our careers, the businesses, the real estate. Level number three is how do we invest our greatest asset, which is really us. It's you. It's me. The number one asset we all have is you. And by the way, I'm not just talking about this in the financial sense. Maximize the investment in you so you can generate the greatest return on capital or return on your time or whatever it is. Yes, that's important. But really an asset is anything that you have that's capable of building wealth. And wealth isn't just financial. Really, the saddest thing I see is when people do so well with their financial investments, they do so well with their portfolio and their businesses and their real estate, but they completely miss the mark because they never invested in true wealth. They had the financial side down, but they never invested in a way that allowed them to live with purpose, that allowed them to live with enjoyment or meaning or whatever it is that's most important to them. So once you have your financial investments in place, really the focus should become on how do you maximize wealth, particularly the non-financial aspects of it. And yes, I said, once you have the financial piece in order. Now, this isn't to say this is always clean, order one, two, three, get your passive investments in order, order your non-passive investments in order, and then focus on you. But what I will say is if we go back to things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, until our basic needs are covered, it's hard to think about what he refers to as self-actualization of the purpose or the meaning or the intent of your life. So having the finances in order aren't everything, but having them in order does help you to spend time really focusing on what's best for you. And how do we do that? Well, for me, I like to think of finances in terms of can I spend money or can I invest money? Well, the same thing goes for time. I look at all the time commitments in my life and I say, is that time commitment, is that an example of me spending time or investing time? And what's the difference? Well, investing time is quality time spent with my spouse, quality time spent with my family. It's time spent pursuing things that are important and enjoyable and fun to me. It's really the return on life that I'm looking at there. Whereas spending time, is, is it's more transactional. It's not building anything. It's not leading to anything greater down the road. So for me, I like to invest. Again, this is how do I invest? Why well, apply this to my life as well? But invest in things that free up time. Now, this could be something simple like meal delivery. You know, I could invest time at lunch if I don't happen to have lunch with me. I could go drive a couple miles to order something from the restaurant or fast food place and sit down and enjoy it. Or I could DoorDash it. And yes, there's a cost to that. 
but it's freeing up time. Or with grocery shopping, I've mentioned this before, there's one thing that I do not enjoy, it's grocery shopping. I don't know why, but I hate being inside of a grocery store. Well, if we can order groceries online, I would happily pay that cost if it saves me an hour or two of driving to the grocery store, finding parking, getting the groceries, and then coming home. So there's things like that where every time I do that, it's not just a cost. It's not me spending money. It's me investing money because now that's an extra couple hours that I could spend in my business. It's an extra couple hours I could spend with my spouse. It's an extra couple hours I can spend doing something that leads to a return on life. And so in that way, it's an investment. Same thing with health. I will happily pay for an expensive gym membership if that's going to keep me healthy, if it's going to keep me enjoying going to the gym, not dreading going to the gym because I'm bored or sick of the workouts, I happily pay money for a premium gym membership to get me motivated to keep me in that routine. I'll spend the first 45 to 50 minutes every morning doing a morning routine, reading, journaling, devotional, meditating, all of these things that are important to me. And to me, it's not spent time. It's an investment of time because the rest of my day then goes better. It's an investment in my mental health, my emotional health, my spiritual health, and it's beginning of the day that leads to a greater return on my number one asset, which is me. And I don't mean that in a braggy way or look what I can do with my asset financially. I mean that from the standpoint of we all have one precious life. And if we're not looking to generate the greatest return on that asset, the greatest return on that wealth, then we're missing the whole point of financial planning in the first place. The sign of a great financial plan is a life well-lived. So if we don't have a life that's well-lived, if we're missing the point here because we're so caught up in the numbers and the portfolio value and the savings rate and tax reduction strategies, we've missed it all. Yes, those things are important, but only from the standpoint of how do those enhance what's actually most important, which is our time that we can spend with our families, which is the time we can spend doing activities that we love, which is the time we can spend working with those charities or working with those causes that are most important to us. Really, it's the time we can spend doing what we love using finance as the supporting mechanism to help get us there. So that's how I think about investing across the board, not just with respect to what's in my 401k, but really how do I view everything as an investment? Not to say that everything can be quantified or that everything's about spreadsheets or money, but with the mindset of how can I invest in what's most important and maximize the returns on what's most important. And if I had to boil it down to three different things, I would say, number one, understand the market rewards risk. What's a risk to some is not a risk to others. So focus on these areas that the market deems risky, but aren't risky to you and focus your investment there. Number two, understand where are you spending your time, your money, your effort, when instead you could be investing it. So how do you do things align with your skill set or are enjoyable to you and will also produce the greatest return on investment? Those are the areas that you should probably be spending your time. And then number three, Recognize what your greatest asset is and then work like crazy to maximize it. And again, we are all our own greatest asset and anything we do with our financial assets should be done with that in mind. So I hope that was helpful. Again, none of this is a recommendation for what you should do with your money. I know we didn't talk about specific mutual funds or stocks or anything like that, but I think the application of how to be a successful financial investor applies to everything else we do in our life. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our energy? How do we spend this one precious life that we have? And the principles that apply to good investing on the financial side apply to everything else as well. So hope that was helpful. 
As always, I appreciate you listening and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.